Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of the Med Talk podcast. We've got uh, something a little bit different this week. Me and Felicity were at an event in Liverpool the other week where we interviewed uh, a couple of the key speakers in the pharma and digital health worlds. Uh, Felicity, do you want to take us through where we were? Sure. So we went and attended the International Business Festival, uh, more specifically on the day that uh, was focused on health and life sciences. Uh, now, spending on global healthcare is expected to reach $8.7 trillion by mm-hmm. 2020, so obviously pretty massive industry um, for businesses. And uh, the day that was um, created in partnership with the Centre of Excellence in Infectious Diseases Research uh, was celebrating life-changing advances in the science of infection, uh, looking at how technology is giving greater access in health and augmenting humans, and was also exploring how businesses in the health sector are working together mm-hmm. to create those changes. Um, so looking at the pharma perspective, um, obviously there was massive interest in AMR. Um, now, earlier this year, um, the ABPI released uh, a thought piece on the increasing role of the UK in fighting um, this global epidemic, which mm-hmm. is antimicrobial resistance. Um, that has come in the form of uh, £30 million worth of funding um, that's going to be delivered through four projects. So that's quite promising um, from a pharmaceutical industry perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I spoke with Lord Jim O'Neill, who, um, as most people will know, chaired um, the review into AMR. Um, He's been a key advocate of... Uh, needing to do some against to, this issue. Yes, to tackling the issue. Um, and he had some particularly strong words for the pharmaceutical industry um, in saying that, you know, there's enough talking now and more action needs to be done. So shall we take a listen to that interview first? Yeah, let's uh, let's get it on. Could you brief us on the current global position in relation to antimicrobial resistance, please? Um, hmm, it's worrying. Uh, as we creep through time, we see more and more evidence of resistance uh, by bugs to modern antibiotics, whether it's uh, in people or in animals. Um, so it's it's getting worrier. If I if I reflect about two years after our review finished, some of the signs of resistance, especially to so-called last-in-line antibiotics like colistin, are worse sooner than we thought. So it's not catastrophic yet, but it's worrying. Which means we all need we all need to do something more than we are doing, including your industry. Um, so, with a ramping up from health authorities surrounding this issue of AMR, what work have you witnessed being done by pharma, if any, um, pharma companies in particular, and what has been uh, the most impressive innovation that you may have seen from the industry? So, to be perfectly blunt. Um, I have seen staggering amounts of talk, endless talk, about how important the issue is by the pharmaceutical industry, including uh, now 18 months ago, the so-called famous Davos Declaration, Um, but no action. 
uh, it is very disappointing and very frustrating. And I am surprised at the lack of imagination from the pharmaceutical industry. There is in other, pa in other areas that we focused on, including uh, early stage research. Uh, there is quite a bit of progress going on, but virtually nothing coming from the pharmaceutical industry. The only, the only one company I could possibly cite positively in this regard is the Danish company Novo, which did back uh, or announced it was starting off an early stage fund. But in terms of the whole model for financing new drugs and bringing them to market, if anything, further steps backwards, even by those that like to think of themselves at the forefront. Which, so it's very disappointing. Yeah. So what would you I never, like? I never knew an industry could talk so much. <laughs> so what would you like the pharma industry to do? Say, like in the next five years, what would your action plan be? For the so I think at the core of it, the pharmaceutical industry probably has to think about its whole business model. Um, I, I've sometimes rudely described so-called big pharma as essentially uh, very good balance sheet managers that just happen to know how to manufacture and distribute pills. And, and underlying that statement is an observation, and I'm a, I'm a finance guy, so you know, I have some experience about finance, not, not pharmaceuticals, but it seems to me, uh, as in many industries, the pharmaceutical industry and the main companies have basically set up various business lines with a very defined high profitability target. And if you do that, something like pharmaceuticals is never going to pass what pe business people would call the hurdle rate. So they either need to stop talking about it as an issue or change the business model. Um, because otherwise, they're never going to uh, do anything other than talk until it gets to some point of fear where uh, they're going to come under a lot of criticism from um, human beings and policymakers around the world. And somebody that's come out of the finance industry and seen that, you know. That's a car crash I would want to avoid. So they need more imagination. See, the CEOs of the pharma industry have to stop being balance sheet managers. If they want to, if they want to be a CEO of a pharmaceutical company in its truest definition, that's what they need to do instead of trying to run a bank. So how, say, for example, then, how could we motivate these CEOs to take that stance to, you know, to get on board with So that? I think I've publicly said before, and I'll emphasise it here to the industry magazine in Europe, why don't they go to a important government or to the EU and say, why don't we pilot a so-called market entry reward? I'm not sure how much you personally are familiar with what we've suggested, but in my review, we promoted the idea of a so-called market entry reward, which would actually give over a billion dollar prize to the right uh, agreed um, mandated new uh, pathogen. Which they do that in, in the orphan drug space. There right, is so I don't, I don't know why some big European pharma companies haven't gone to Brussels and said, well, why don't we pilot one with you? 
or here in the UK. I don't know why GSK don't. Uh, GSK like to think of themselves with some credibility that they are the leading uh, in the industry, frankly, of very few that are in the space. Why don't they do that instead of just, you know, every now and then making a whole load of platitudes about how important it is and they're not actually doing anything? I, I, and one of the reasons I'm saying it so strongly is that in the past few months, I see signs of the agricultural industry starting to take more leadership when it comes to the problem with animals, and, and yet no sign of it in the pharmaceutical industry. And does that, say for the agriculture uh, industry, does that come in the form of working with academia, perhaps? Is that something that big pharma or pharma companies in general should be looking at doing more with? So. The agricultural industry is waking up because they realise consumers are now sensitised to this issue and they need to, you know, there's, there's nothing closer to the consumer than a big supermarket chain and they need to respond to it. Um, you, you pose a question with your statement. Uh, it seems to me one easy area for the rest of the European farmer industry to do is, is what Novo have just announced. One of the early ideas we suggested, this is now over three years ago, is why doesn't the big farmer industry collectively start up some kind of start-up fund uh, for, new, for new early stage initiatives? It's taken the Danish one to do it on its own. I hope that's serious. But why doesn't every major pharmaceutical company do that? For example. For example. Why don't they back state-of-the-art diagnostics? Uh, why don't they do more about vaccines? I could go on and on. But academia could be a good, a academia, good starting place. Academia is one of the few places where there is good progress going on. In our review, uh, I like to popularise our 27 specific recommendations by describing them covering 10 areas, which we call the 10 commandments. Two of the areas, the progress has been bigger, or as big as we call for. One is the amount of early stage money, and secondly is uh, the number of academics that are studying AMR. But none of it's happened because of anything the pharmaceutical industry has done. It's happened despite the pharmaceutical industry. So moving to your, your, your obviously presenting today, yeah. um, what could you just give us a little list of your key take-home messages? I think uh, I highlighted five that I want to try and uh, get clear to the audience. Uh, the first of which, the, of the Ten Commandments, there are two where at least as much has happened as we call for, and that's nice, and it gives me hope that through time the other eight may be in the same stage, although no sign of it yet. Uh, secondly, in that regard, for the British government, uh, sadly, in a government that seems to be completely consumed by Brexit and nothing else and not seemingly doing that very well, they've kind of tro dropped their public profile under David Cameron. This was a top, top priority for the British government, and it gave Britain huge credibility around the world. Um, they make noises about global Britain every week. What more global is there than this? So I call on the government to start being genuine global leaders about it again. Uh, thirdly, in the agricultural industry, where there has been 
some encouraging progress recently. Uh, I call on them to be bolder and, and considering announcing a ban of so-called last-in-line antibiotics in animals, such as colistin. Fourthly, uh, I will make noise about the pharmaceutical industry to learn uh, the art of doing rather than talking. And then fifthly, uh, perhaps the single biggest area where there is virtually no progress, but it's really important, is, is in so-called diagnostics. Uh, I often say we need Google for doctors. And uh, our government and other governments can be tougher, tougher than they are in allowing or presiding over prescription, and our government is being quite tough about that. But unless you bring in uh, affordable diagnostics for doctors and medical practitioners, in the interim, it might make the problem worse because you stop access to those that need antibiotics because you're so focused on trying to reduce the total. So those are the five things I'm really going to highlight. That's perfect. Well, thank you very much for speaking with me today, uh, Lord O'Neill. I hope you have a great day uh, in Liverpool, and uh, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So there were some quite strong words there from uh, Lord Jim O'Neill um, concerning the current state of AMR and the lack of, in his opinion, um, action mm -hmm. being done by the pharmaceutical industry. It's understandable how big the topic is, and. So yeah. and sort of where his feelings are coming from because it it, it is a a, a big, big and it's far-reaching as well. I mean, yeah. as he discusses in the interview, you know, agriculture um, has a massive impact on it as well. You know, the implementation of antibiotics within that sector, and in his opinion, they're doing a lot more. And he thinks the pharmaceutical industry need to follow suit. An easier way maybe would be to work with academia mm -hmm. on that front, but you know. More needs to be done. I think is the essential message yeah, that came to put from that. that. <laughs> quite, quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so we also spoke with um, a very nice man called Ian Hennessy um, about. Yeah, his... Ian Hennessy was um, at the event giving a talk on the use of virtual reality and uh, augmented reality in surgery. And Ian Hennessy is from uh, the Alderhead Children's Hospital. He heads the innovation hub there. So he, he's like a really um, strong advocate of digital technologies being used in healthcare and he thinks the NHS needs to have a big push towards those technologies to sort of, um, you know, to, 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 to boost things like surgery to even just to reduce sort of like basic admin, admin work that we shouldn't be doing. Um, and, and he was really, really interested and really engaging about sort of use of um, what, he's, what he's doing at the Innovation Hub with um, augmented reality. So we started off just chatting about um, the pros and cons of it and how it's used in surgery. So um, I know virtual reality is a big sort of topic within the technology um, sector, and so is augmented reality, but um, I think people sometimes forget how beneficial it could be within healthcare, maybe. Um, so I think we'll just get this interview, interview on. Perfect. Um, so I guess we'll just start off with your, um, your speech today on sort of virtual reality and AR in, uh, in the surgery. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of the uh, key take-home messages from that? Um, what you're... Yeah, well, it should be kind of interesting. We're doing a, a, a panel session with Proxima, who are one of these new up-and-coming augmented reality companies. Yeah. Um, and this is a, a technology base I've been watching for a while to see which one's going to come out. You know, it's like, you know, Betamax versus VHS, yeah. you know, AR, VR. Most of it, the money's on, on AR, right. having used both extensively mm -hmm. now. Um, 
I think the key message is that you know we actually have to start using this. Um, what really frustrates me with healthcare, not just NHS, but healthcare in general, is we all seem to be a bit behind the times in the technology that's being applied. Um, so you know, find that there'll be um, these startups in San Francisco who've already got an AR gaming platform yeah. sorted out, and I've not yet as they've seen you know, a fully deployed AR platform for a, for healthcare. Um, you know, in an NHS hospital. Yeah. So you know, we need to start. Uh, grasping these technologies and actually using them. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that side, I've seen a lot of sort of uh, VR companies working for surgical training. Mm. Um, do you see that as a, an area where the uptake's been a little bit bigger? Yeah, I mean, the thing with you know, VR is that you can't wear it for too long. No. So the problem with VR is that, and there's about 20% of the population who, when you put it on them, they just get sick really quickly. Yeah, no, no um, And getting more than one person in the same VR environment is difficult. Um, and it, and it also comes up to the, this low fidelity versus high fidelity um, simulation environments. I mean, how much extra does it add for it to look really, really realistic? Yeah. Um, so I think VR for immersive training, I'm not sure actually. I'm not sure if I actually, is, you know, looking forward 10 years, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if we will be using VR, but I think what we might be using is, is AR yeah. um, to how to put it, to level up the environment you're in to make it a little more realistic. Um, certainly having, because we've got a partnership with Microsoft and we've been working with the HoloLens. Um, and of course it's still very early stage technology, but you can see the potential in it. Yeah, yeah. And you don't get sick. No. You know, so you don't have that claustrophobic, oh, I don't know where I am type thing. So I think that the air's probably got more applications than the VR does. Um, I've seen some of the HoloLens stuff, it's really, mm. really cool to, to sort of watch yeah. the demonstrations. Um, with AR in, 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 sort of in the surgery, mm. what, is, what are the, the major benefits? Is it sort of having access to information on your screen? Is it mm. sort of, um, is it to actually do with the patient? What's the air? Well, for the, the test, simulated testing was done with AR, mm. one of the big advantages of it is the customizability of your data sphere, basically. Yeah. Um, so you can decide what you want to see in that room and where you want that information to be, mm. and you can pick it up and place it wherever you want. At the moment, we have to have it displayed in high-resolution screens, which are sat on pendant arms. Yeah. Around, and that's actually quite difficult. Um, and during the operation, I can't move them because I'm scrubbed, I'm sterile. Yeah. So I can't interact with information. I can't touch it, I can't move it around, I can't readjust it. You know, so if you have AR, which is a sufficient resolution, mm-hmm. then theoretically you can have all the information you want, but also have it when you want it. Yeah. And so you can declutter and reclutter and you know, also have interactive controls. The use of in AR, the ability to um, tap on things in the air is great for surgery because so we've got sterile hands, we're yeah. not allowed to, to physically touch yeah. anything. So there's there's a big advantage there, but also, like the, the, the example of Proximy, the ability for other people to come into your operative field and give you advice and point things out, even when they're not there, which previously you just couldn't do beforehand. And overlaying it on reality, I think, is, you know, is, is exciting. Obviously, it has lots of problems, um, because if you've got an AR hand and it's pointing at something, you've got to be pretty sure it's pointing at the right <laughs> yeah. thing. But, yeah, that's the technological barrier we've got to... Yeah, yeah, needs to develop a little bit more. Um, away from that, sort of, uh, do, do you think that NHS has had a significant, significant sort of uh, culture change in regards to sort of digital technologies, the adoption of it? Yeah. I mean, it's still difficult, no two ways about it. Yeah. But 
at least now everyone's agreed that it's something we should be doing yeah. um, and I think my job role as a clinical director of innovation um, wouldn't have been possible 10-15 years ago um, or if at least it was it was the few hardcore who'd managed to get through and now it's a, it's a much more common thing and I'm increasingly getting asked by lots of people like, oh how do you set this up how do you set up people want to do it um, so there is that pressure now in NHS that you know that we should be innovating and um, we now need to create systems to make it more frictionless right. and what about sort of on the sort of on a, on a basic level of sort of like the administration tasks what do you think technology can do to help alleviate sort of a some of, the, some of the more basic tasks that maybe we shouldn't be doing? Oh, tons. I mean, yeah. so it, the application of AI to automate out base level processes would just save so much time in any healthcare system. Um, and it would be a, there's no faster way to release 10,000 doctors than to stop them from doing really mundane, low level admin work yeah. and get them doing what they enjoy doing and what they're good at doing and what is most valuable to the country, which is getting out there and treating patients mm-hmm. and coming up with new therapies and new ways to, to treat people right. um, rather than trying to arrange an outpatient appointment or struggling to get an ultrasound in the same day as a clinic. You know, it's, it's, it's nuts, really, when you think of the amount of training that's gone into these people. Mm. What about your um, sort of older here um, partnership with IBM and the app released? Mm-hmm. Um, was it 2016, I think? Uh, yeah, so actually, the, the app itself came in 2017, but we announced it in 2016. Right. Um, um, how's that been received? That's great. Is so you know, now, so now we've got an actual, you know, one of the world's first AI chatbots yeah. for patients. Um, I mean, it just, it's quite simple, because um, all you know, it's been de-risked. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's around giving people basic information that they would normally ask their nurses. Yeah. Um, and this way, they don't have to ask a question which the, that could be easily answered by a chatbot. Mm-hmm. Instead, they can ask a question which um, actually does need a human to answer it. Um, so that's been really fascinating, and we're still analysing all the results of what's yeah. coming back from it. Um, on, on the patient side of that, do you think, or even pub, the public side, um, do you, do you, these sort of like digital tools that are, that are coming out, do you think there's enough awareness around them? No, no. So there needs to be, you know, hand in hand, there needs to be the marketing, publicity, mm. and the culture change into this is now how we do things. Yeah. Because people, when they go to a hospital, don't expect that there's an app. No. If they went to Disneyland, the first thing they'd do is they get an app store, the eyes, yeah. you know, <laughs> they download the app. Um, so we need to have that change. Mm. People expect to have uh, a digital interface for when they, when they meet in the hospital as opposed to getting a letter yeah. and a handshake. Yeah, it, it's always interesting because, I mean, mm. uh, the stuff we, we write about, you know, we mm. write about all the time, but, you know, you go to your GP, you go to your doctor's or mm. hospital, and it's, it's, it's tough to sort of assess where things are, where things, you know, are being yeah. brought on and actually where the mm. uptake's happening. Yeah. Um, so, so it's difficult to sort of assess, you know, the level of, in, of adoption mm. across the country. Yeah. Um, I, I guess lastly, sort of the, um, you know, the extra 20 billion that's been mm. recently announced this year, where would you sort of like to see that? That's spent across there. Uh, <laughs> no, apart from yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything in my innovation yeah. now, but yeah, I, I can find something to do with that. Um, well, it is a matter of getting the right mix of things that we have to do, mm-hmm. uh, things that we'd like to do, and also things that are just a bit, hmm, would this work? Uh, I think if you completely, you know, concentrate your portfolio and really try to test the things, yes, that will deliver, but you've got to be thinking about tomorrow or the next 10 years. The analogy I like to use is that you're back in the Victorian times, um, you have the option of hiring another you know, 10,000 Victorian doctors 
or developing penicillin. Um, so you get 10,000 Victorian doctors doing what they've always done, they're still going to be rubbish at treating infection. Yeah. Whereas you can have that breakthrough, then validate it. My, I've got this great memory on this train um, from Stirling, which is where I did my first job as a, as a, as a house officer, you know, when you're basically locked in a hospital and you to work for a year. And uh, I met this really, really old lady, she's about 98, and um, she had this Stirling Medical Society bag. And I got chatting to her, and um, it turned out she'd been one of the first female doctors. Um, so, and she was retired for ages. And I said to her, what was the biggest thing in your lifetime? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, when antibiotics came in. Yeah. And she said, we thought we had cured disease. We thought that was it. We thought we were out of a job. We emptied the hospital. We were just walking around giving people this penicillin stuff and they were just getting better. And yeah. they were like, well, things which had been completely untreatable, like syphilis, yeah. for instance, which was a horrific disease. Killed you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Very debilitating. Giving them one shot of it. Got done. Wow. <laughs> and, and it's, it's those type of breakthroughs. I don't feel like I've had that in my lifetime. No. I'd like to have that kind of like... There we go. Cure cancer. Brilliant. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, just just one last thing. Um, if you work in sort of in, in pediatrics, mm -hmm. is there anything else sort of um, digital that that you're doing to mm. sort of enhance that area or to uh, test yeah, things? Yeah, working on tons of stuff. Yeah. Um, the our AR, VR, AI, yeah. app program, using gaming as distraction mm -hmm. to try and that take people's pain minds management. Up. Yeah, yeah, to try yeah. and uh, reduce people concentrating on the painful yeah, stimulus. It's incredibly powerful, actually. The kids are very distracted. Mm -hmm. um, using robots to kind of be companions, that mm -hmm. type of thing. It's, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Anything you announce in sort of soon or the main thing that we're going to be doing soon is the is the Microsoft AR stuff right. that's, that's a big you know area the other thing is um, we're uh, on a programme at the University of Liverpool about making the world's best uh, children's wheelchair oh, yes. um, so how can we take the current technology and you know make it 21st century yeah um, because they are quite old-fashioned mm. motorized wheelchairs when we look at them um, so that that's particularly exciting but that's just starring out right. that's one of my favorite projects so that was Ian Hennessy talking about a whole load of their digital technologies there um, I think one of my favorite points that, that he actually made was how healthcare is the last place people expect there to be digital innovations so the point was that you go to Disneyland and you, you download the app to see all the rides and that's the first thing you do so you know what, you, what you're doing but you go to a hospital and you don't expect that type of service. Yeah, but I think more and more people are, particularly you know, in the fact that more and more people have connected devices now. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's pretty uncommon to see somebody without a smartphone. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. It just I think it's more the, the um, particularly in the NHS, the marketing they need to do around yeah. the availability of those services. Yeah, and getting those uh, yeah those digital services implemented, mm -hmm. it's probably proven a headache to somebody. But oh god, oh yeah. I mean, you look at the size of the NHS and the different organisations, the different trusts, the different CCGs, and it must just be like a complete logistical nightmare. So I don't envy, envy the people uh, doing that at all. Um, I, I guess we'll just we can round off with. Um, the NHS had 70 um, um, stuff, so we, we, we conducted the um, interview just before that, but yesterday was the official 70th anniversary, so I guess, first of all, a happy birthday to the NHS, yep. and um, hopefully people like uh, Ian Hennessy, who are implementing all these technologies and exploring um, you know, the useful ways that they can be, uh, be used, uh, will be something that we'll see more of in the future.
and I guess on the AMR stuff, what um, what we've got to look forward to next or not to look forward to, Airflis? Well, hopefully uh, a lot more work being done mm. um, within the industry to tackle the issue. Uh, obviously, there's, there is a lot of research happening, um, you know, looking at new antimicrobial uh, agents, mm -hmm. um, whether they come to fruition or not. Um, we'll have to wait and see, but there is promising research out there, and it's certainly in the clinical development stage, so mm -hmm. that's good news. Um, obviously, more work needs to be done. More work from Jim O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, the overriding message. Yeah. Um, but going back to the NHS at 70, uh, there was just a new story, um, obviously coming out in relation to them turning 70 yesterday, that they've reached 70 apps in 70... Yes, yeah, 70 apps in... in... Yeah, and for, uh, for Ready for the years. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, how has that come along? It, it's. I think it's been quite a slow progress. Um, but, but I think at the same time, what they've wanted to do is be really sure about the apps that they're putting onto the library. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, you look at the you look at the market on like iOS and Android for health apps, and there's over, you know, there's half a million of these apps available. Yeah. Um, and the NHS has chosen seventy, so. I think they've got to be very careful about what they, in a word, prescribe to people that they should be using on on the smartphones to mm. you know to take better care of of themselves. Yeah, um, and tying that in as well. I mean, if they're looking at using chatbots and things mm -hmm. like that to help with re alleviate that GP surgery sort of you know the o overwhelming yeah, but, um, um, patient groups going into GP surgeries, you know, so they're using chatbots to have their um, appointments online etc mm -hmm. I suppose they have to be careful and, and circling back to the AMR issue then it's you know are they going to be prescribing things like antibiotics mm -hmm. a little bit um, too readily because they're not facing the person you know face to face it's, yeah. it's it's an online interaction so that needs to be looked at carefully which obviously they are looking at it carefully but you know that's something that certainly needs to be considered yeah definitely and I think that's when you see the sort of um for instance, the CQC looking at all the digital technologies and how they need to be regulated, mm. and uh, companies such as like Orca who um, monitor the, the health uh, the, the the health app market marketplace and, and can can see which one which ones are good and which ones um, might might not work so much. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I think that it's really sort of um, I think the NHS are tiptoeing around the issue um, in, in quite a good way because you, what you don't want to see is thousands of app, apps recommended by the NHS straight away because First of all, the evidence isn't there that the work, and, and secondly, they can't just, you know, it, it could be a danger to people if they're using it in certain ways where maybe they shouldn't be. Yeah, which we, we've seen with other apps yeah. and, and digital platforms, um, particularly with the regulatory bodies looking at them and, and saying, you know, maybe these need to be regulated more heavily or, or at all yeah. in some instances. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. I think that's all, that's all forward-looking looking things. Yeah, um, and it's all positive that these things are um, starting to become available. Mm -hmm. So onwards to the next seventy years. Onwards to the next seventy years, yes. <laughs> right. I think we'll round it off there. Yeah. Right. Thanks right. for listening. Thanks.